This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today, we are winding down a series of messages that we've called Seek First. And so for the past seven or eight weeks, we've explored what it looks like to seek Jesus first in every aspect of our life. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to us as well. So we've talked about what it looks like to put Jesus first in our thought life, in our time, in our work, in our experience of community, uh, in our finances. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like to put him first in our dating and marriage. Okay, so we'll just, we'll just kind of go ahead and keep messing with everybody. Um, if finances made you uncomfortable, today we'll talk about sex. So we'll just, yeah, some, there's, there's a mixed reaction of yes and oh, uh, but it's fine. Um, it, parents, if you have kids, we do have chapel kids and they are welcome to attend. And now you can't get offended. So uh, it will all be scriptural and straightforward. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to finish the series. I really hope you'll be here. Next Sunday, we're going to finish by talking about how we seek Jesus first in every area by the power of his spirit working in us. Um, so I think it's important for us because sometimes when you talk about put Jesus first in your time, put him first in your thoughts, put him first in your work, put him first in your community, put him first in your finances, put him first in your relationships, it can feel like you're just given this endless list of to-dos that you're always going to fall short of. And so what we're gonna finish with next week is this idea of when Jesus calls us to put him first, he also sends the Holy Spirit to empower us in every moment of every day to make that possible. And it's a life-giving, it's a freeing process. So, so I hope you'll be here next Sunday. But today, dating and marriage. Okay, so we kind of, we have two categories of people in the room. We have married and we have unmarried. Okay, everybody agrees you fit into one or of uh, those categories. Nobody can fit into both. You might be married and wish you weren't. You might be unmarried and wish you were, but you are still fully in that status. Okay, so what we're going to see today is God has a plan for marriage. He's the one who gave us all of the desires that propel us towards marriage. And when we apply his plan for marriage, it changes the way we experience life as married people, but it also changes the way we experience life as unmarried people. And and so I know whenever we talk about dating, about marriage and relationships, it it can create all kinds of internal reactions because that can be a source of pain uh, for a lot of us. But my encouragement to you you today is just lay it down. Let's listen to what Jesus says and let's learn what it looks like to seek him first in this area. Okay, so the the first thing we see, we're going to use two scriptures this morning. We're going to look at Genesis 2 and also Matthew 19. So Genesis 2 gives us the story of God's creation of man and God's creation of woman. And then Matthew 19 is Jesus's explanation of that story. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So in the creation story, what we find is God is creating everything and everything is perfect and everything is good. And he creates Adam and he creates all of the world and Adam is in charge of naming all of the creatures. And what God sees is that as Adam is creating everything, Adam is still alone. There is nothing and no one like him. And God, it's the first thing in creation that God says, this isn't good. Okay, and so then God's solution to that is to create woman. So you skip down to verse 21. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. 
Angie and I were having a, a discussion this morning of, I've never seen this in this passage this morning, but I, I now have biblical justification for why I sleep through everything. Again, men, if you're in the same boat, if your wife's always like, I'd be dead by the time you woke up. It, God has made us this way, right? He caused the man to be put into a deep sleep. He was out cold, dead to the world. Angie's response was, well, he had to do that because your pain tolerance is so small. Like, <laughs> otherwise women never would have been created. You would have been like, I'm dying. You know, like man flu. And I, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of mean, honestly. So, um, you know, but anyway, so that, that's not really the point. Let's keep going here. Verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, what we learn when it comes to dating and marriage in Genesis chapter 2 is that we are all created by God with a natural desire to know and be known by the opposite sex. Adam was alone, and God said it wasn't good. And he did not create Adam a buddy. He created a woman. And so there is something ingrained in each one of us that is drawn to those who are so similar and yet so wildly different from us. Like this, this is what you see if you have young children. Like you, you can have the most wild little six- or seven-year-old boy in the world. And yet when that one girl walks by at church or school, he just stands still and watches her. All right, you think back. How many of you can remember your first crush? The first time you ever thought, oh, yeah, some of you raised your hand a little too quick. I'm like, I still got him. Uh, you know, Angie, we had this talk this week. And, and so for Angie, she could remember back to fifth grade. Um, right? and, and so she told me the guy's name. I looked him up on Facebook. I think I can take him still. So I wasn't threatened. And I could remember back, I can't take him. Yeah, okay. All right, she's good. Okay, uh, so, so then I could remember back to first grade. So I, I, I just, that name came into my mind. I hadn't thought it in a long time. Um, and, and so I, I looked at that girl on Facebook and, and, and told Angie later, it was one of those, you ever heard the, the country song, Some of God's Greatest Gifts Are Unanswered Prayers? We'll just leave that there, right? It was, it was, thank you, Jesus, for Angie. Thank you that you did not answer that first moment of attraction. But we've, we've all had that. Parents of teenagers, youth pastors, youth leaders, this is why, this is why teenagers, they can, they can have a different crush every month, some of them every week, some of them every day, some of them every hour. Just one to another. What's happening? They're reacting to that desire God has put inside of them. And, and yet, their, their minds are still a little immature. Their bodies are still a little immature. So the, the desire, the attraction comes through, and they don't really know what to do with it. So they're just pretty sure they're supposed to marry everyone. And they're constantly looking, and they're constantly bouncing. College students, this is why you guys walk around campus just on eyes on alert for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. <laughs> or at least Mr. and Mrs. right now, right? Like you'll just take, you'll take whatever you can get in the moment. It's just, it's ingrained. It's hardwired into us. It's why we date. It's why we get engaged. It's why we get married because God has designed us to be drawn to the opposite sex and not just in a, hey, I want to hang out with you, but in a, hey, for some reason, I would like one of you to choose me for an exclusive, committed relationship. 
I want to know one of you in the way that I know no one else in the world. And what we go on to learn in Genesis chapter 2 is that this is exactly how God has created us. So if you skip down to verse 24, it says, A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So as followers of Jesus, we embrace the idea that we are created for connection with the opposite sex. And yet we also have to recognize all the ways in which our culture and our enemy has corrupted that desire. See, because here's the thing, that the enemy cannot remove that desire from your heart. God has hardwired it into every single person. And so the only hope the enemy has of keeping you from following that God-given desire onto God's given path is to twist, to manipulate, or to pervert that desire and focus it in another direction. And so this is what we see all through the scriptures. God's plan is for men and women to be brought together in marriage in a unique, loving, exclusive, permanent bond. And yet as sin comes in, then we have all of these other laws that have to be introduced about our sexual morality, about how we're going to interact, about how we're going to marry, about what happens if a marriage goes wrong and how people can actually get out of that. None of that was God's original plan. God's original plan was a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's only because of the introduction of sin into the world that now we have all of these other rules and regulations about sexuality and about marriage because the enemy has come and he's taken that desire and he's twisted it down 10,000 different paths that lead us away from God's design. This isn't new for us. In fact, by the time Jesus comes, there are some pretty well-worn arguments about how you get out of a marriage. So if you flip over to Matthew chapter 19, you'll find a group of really smart people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and they are coming to ask Jesus, when can we get divorced, right? Which is is very interesting and, and is probably something we should pay attention to. Anytime we know what God's plan is, and our first question for God is, how do I get out of your plan? We're probably asking the wrong question. And that's what Jesus is going to reveal to them. It's what he's going to reveal to us. But Matthew chapter 19, if you have a Bible, you can look with me. If not, it'll be here on the screen. It says, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, from the time of Moses to the time of Jesus, there's been a lot of talk about marriage. And there's been a lot of things that have have been done wrong in regards to marriage. And because of that, there has been a development of there do, there do need to be times where a person has to get out of what is supposed to be a permanent commitment. And so Moses allows divorce, and he requires a certificate of divorce to be given. So there is some legal standing so that both parties understand this covenant relationship has now been broken. So over the the centuries between Moses and Jesus, there's a lot of discussion among the religious leaders of how and when can you get out of a marriage? And there there were two schools of thought, and basically the Pharisees are coming to say, Jesus, which one do you agree with? And so the, the conservative school of thought was you could divorce your wife, right? It was, it was primarily the husband who could initiate it. And the husband could divorce his wife if she engaged in some form of sexual infidelity, right? If she was unfaithful to him, she broke the marriage covenant, and it was now actually his duty to end the marriage because the covenant no longer existed. 
So it was pretty restrictive, and it was only in these certain small cases that it could occur. Now, on the other side of that, there was a more liberal understanding of what is phrased here. A man can divorce his wife for any and every reason. So there was one of the, the uh, rabbis who adopted this understanding, said a man could divorce his wife if he was displeased with her in any way, even for something as small as burning his bread, right? So, so we kind of have two extremes. If she cheats on you, if she doesn't get breakfast just right, right? And, and so they're, they're coming basically to say, Jesus, which one is it? Is it only the most extreme cases or is it whatever case we want? And Jesus comes and as he often does when we're asking, how do I get out of this? Instead of answering our question, he redirects us back to God's original purpose. And so Jesus responds to the Pharisees. He says, haven't you read? Now we read that and think, oh, he's just starting a sentence. No, no, no. This, this is a kind of religious smackdown that Jesus is providing to the Pharisees. He's, he's implying that they do not understand God's original plan for marriage. The Pharisees, their response would have been, Jesus, not only have we read it, we've memorized it, we've taught it to our children, we've argued about it, we've developed all of these schools of thought. Of course we have read about God's original plan for marriage, but from Jesus' position, it's like, well, clearly you've read it, but you didn't get it. Because all you really want to know is how can we get out of what God designed to be permanent and lasting. And so Jesus comes in and he takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and he begins to walk us through God's plan for marriage. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, as I said, we're going to talk about Jesus' plan for dating and marriage. And what you noticed as we read through Genesis 2 and what you noticed as we read through Genesis 19, or, or sorry, Matthew 19, is that uh, Jesus makes no reference to dating. Right? He, he doesn't talk about do you swipe left or swipe right. He doesn't talk about do you meet online or in person. He doesn't do any of that. You can read through the entire Bible. You'll never find a single reference to dating. You'll never find an idea of should we court or should we date. None of that is in the scriptures. It's not specific. Dating is just a, a cultural thing that we have done to move towards God's plan for marriage. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to say, if this is God's plan for marriage, what does it look like for married people? And then if I'm unmarried, how does that affect me right where I am today? And so Jesus gives us five things, five statements about marriage that should change the way we experience marriage today if we're married and should change the way we think about and are planning and preparing for marriage if that's part of God's plan for us. Okay, so the, the first thing Jesus says is marriage is between a male and female. So he's, he's just very clear. Um, and historically, throughout the history of the church, we would not spend any time at all on this. Like we would just kind of move on. Yep, okay, we would all agree. But, but we know culturally, uh, this is a space where we have to stop and we have to have a conversation. Because again, God has a plan for marriage. He has a purpose for it. He designed it to work in a certain way. And the enemy, if he cannot keep us from the experience, he will come and try to twist it. God wired men to be attracted to women, and he wired women to be attracted to men. But sin comes in and corrupts everything. And sometimes the way the enemy gets us off track is by corrupting that desire from the very beginning. 
And so as, as followers of Jesus, what it means is there are a lot of cultural conversations about moving past or putting aside traditional values. Now, as followers of Jesus, we don't have to really get engaged too much in the traditional political approaches to marriage and these types of things. But instead, we can say, hey, it's, it's not really even that I'm taking a traditional stance. I'm just really trying to do what the Bible tells me. And what the scriptures tell us is that our romantic relationships are supposed to be between males and females. And no matter how hard the enemy attacks and no matter how much culture pushes against, and even if it is personally difficult for me, I must surrender my life to Jesus and his plan. To seek him first is to walk this path. Now, now for those of us that agree and think, yes, that's right, I can't believe we even have to have this conversation, I would also caution you of your job is not to go and cut down everyone who disagrees with you or disagrees with this. When when someone's experiencing same-sex attraction, it's usually not helpful for your first response to be like, don't you know what the Bible says? it, It really doesn't lead anywhere good at all. But instead, our response is like every person who's struggling to walk in the fullness of life that Jesus offers to us is to say, hey, let's let's talk about it. Let's walk it out. Let's see what the Bible says. Let's pray about it and to trust the spirit to do the work that only he can do, right? But as followers of Jesus, there do come these moments where we have to say, hey, I, I know this might not be culturally acceptable, I know this might be personally difficult. I know this might create challenges in some of my close family uh, relationships or friendships. And yet, I believe what the scriptures teach, that Jesus is the son of God sent to redeem all of humanity, that God has a plan for our romantic relationships laid out in Genesis 2, and it's between a male and a female. Jesus reiterates it for us in Matthew 19. The apostle Paul reiterates it repeatedly. The early church adopted it universally throughout church history. This is the path that we have walked and embraced, and the changes of the last 40 or 50 years cannot undo that eternal truth that God has chosen to reveal to us. And yet we can still embrace the truth with love. But what it means for us today is if I want to experience God's plan for marriage, the fullness of life that comes in it, it will be between a male and female. And if I'm unmarried, it means that the pursuit, the goal I'm aiming for is a relationship that is defined by male and female. Now, the next thing Jesus tells us, God created them male and female. And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. So it's not just male and female, it's also man and woman. And they they might seem like the same thing, but I think there's a little bit of nuance there that's worth our attention. Uh, It's not just that every male is ready to get married and every female is ready to get married. The idea of man carries with it the connotation of some element of maturity, right? Like like not, not probably as mature as some people would hope or expect, but at least a little bit more. So, so this is why eight and nine-year-olds don't get married. That's why 11, 12, 13-year-olds don't get married. Their minds are changing. Their emotions are changing. Their bodies are changing at such a rapid rate that it would be irresponsible of us as adults to trust them to make such a permanent and lasting decision. And so it's why when we have kids, when we have teenagers, we are trying to guide them through this experience of, yes, God put those desires in you. Yes, I know you think he's cute. Yes, I know you think she's cute. But let's just remember, it's not permanent yet. You're still working through. You're still becoming a mature person. And no, I'm not going to sign off when you're 16 years old so you can go get married. Or 17 
or 18. And I'm going to stop there because I got married at 19. And uh, it worked, right? But I, I, as I tell my own kids, I was the exception, not the rule. Uh, I somehow peaked at maturity at 19. And it's kind of been downhill since then. Uh, but I, I don't know how, like God, God just gave me a window of grace to convince Angie. She said yes, and she's dealt with it ever since. Uh, you know, but, but it's just this moment of to move into marriage is to move into maturity. It's not supposed to be just a, hey, I want to get married. Hey, she seems cute. Hey, I like him. Let's jump right into this. But it's a, a thoughtful, deliberate, spiritual, mature choice that is made by men and women. And so what that means for us as a church is to those who are unmarried, we're saying, hey, just walk in maturity. But, but culturally, now we have swung almost to the other side of that, where very rarely in American culture is there a concern that somebody gets married too young. In fact, we have, we have large groups, even in the church, who are kind of waiting until they have somehow perfected every area of their life to get married. And you see it in the, the rising age. I, th I think the current age is more like 27, 28 years old when people are getting married for the very first time. Now, if, if that's you, nothing wrong. Don't, don't take any of this personally. But what we see is, and I hear it in conversations with people, well, I can't get married till I get a real job. I can't get married till I get rid of all my student debt. I can't get married until I sort this out. I can't get married until I get in better shape. I can't get married until I have a house. I can't get married until I've done all of these things that I've always wanted to do. I can't get married until I've fulfilled at least half of my bucket list. I can't get married. And, and what they wind up doing is that they kind of create this false ideal where you can't get married until you're perfect. And if you're waiting to get married until you're perfect or you find someone else who's perfect, you just better go ahead and buy your plot in the cemetery because you're only going to need one. You're going to die alone and you're going to be alone because you're never going to be perfect and you're never going to find someone who's perfect, but you can be mature and you can find someone who's mature. And so as a church, our job then is to help each other walk in maturity so that if God reveals marriage as part of his plan, we have men and women who are ready, willing, and capable of stepping into it. The next thing Jesus tells us is that you will leave your father and mother and be united to your wife. So it's kind of that marriage is a public change of status. So when Jesus shares this idea with the Pharisees and those who are gathered around, they all have a picture in mind of what a wedding looks like. And on a wedding day, the groom would leave his home and he would go to get his bride. And so the, the picture that's created of a man leaving his father and mother is literally in the, the bright sunshine of friends and family members. He is walking out of his single life. He is getting his bride and they are walking into new life together. When we get married, it is supposed to be a public change of status. Right? We're not designed to get married in secret. It doesn't mean you have to have the big blowout, but if you get married and then both continue to live like you're single, something's wrong. Right? If you've got two young adults who get married and then he goes back to mom's house and she goes back to dad's house, that's messed up. You're supposed to be together. This is why we, we send out wedding invitations. It's why we throw engagement parties. It's why we have big wedding ceremonies and receptions because we're making a public declaration of this season of life is over and I am walking into this new season and I want everyone everywhere to know it. 
And so we change names and we sign marriage licenses and we do joint checking accounts and we wear wedding rings and we do all of these things to do what? To make a public declaration of I am no longer an unmarried person. I am a married person. And we do it all in front of God, our family, and our friends. Now, if that is God's plan for how we get married, then it must affect how we date as well. So if you're unmarried, if you're dating, if you'd like to be dating, uh, my encouragement to you this morning is the goal for you is probably one day you want to have a public change of status. You want a husband, you want a wife. Unless God has gifted you with the gift of singleness, this is where you're trying and hoping to get to. And if that's where you want to get to, then you want to conduct yourselves as a dating person in a very public way as well. If we're going to make a public declaration that I am a husband, I am a wife, then we need to be pretty open and honest when we're dating, which means there should be nothing shady or secretive about the way that Christians date. If you've got a girl here and a girl here and they don't know about each other, you're not setting yourself up for success or keeping your options open. If you've got a guy at home and a guy in town, that's not just, hey, I'm just exploring what's out there. That is establishing secretive ways of living and interacting in your heart that are on the path to destruction. When you're dating, There shouldn't be any secret texts, any deleting DMs, any shadiness. If if any of that exists, if there's any part of your dating life that you would be ashamed of other people, if other people found out, it's probably because you know you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. And so if marriage is a public declaration of this is where I am and this is where we're going, then dating will also involve some public declarations of this is who I'm with and this is where we're going and this is what we're doing and this is the goal of our relationship. And if you can't answer those, then you probably need to back up a step and start maturing a little bit more. And then as you mature, then you can step in. So Jesus says it's a public declaration. You're going to leave your father and mother. And then he tells us it's also a transformational change of status. You're going to be united to your wife and the two will become one flesh. So there's, there's two things that are happening here. Jesus is telling us you're leaving behind an old way of life and you're starting a new way of life. And in this new way of life, you are no longer two individuals who now happen to share a last name, a home, and an anniversary, but you are two individuals who have been created by God into one couple, one unit. Two will become one flesh. And, and so there's obviously an aspect of our sexuality that's at play here. Right? The, the sexual union between a husband and a wife is never just a physical activity, but it is a spiritual place where God unites our hearts, minds, and bodies together in a unique and powerful connection. And it is so sacred and so powerful that God reserves it and preserves it for marriage. Right? Tim Keller is a, 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 um, a pastor in New York City. He talks about marriage quite a lot. He's written a couple of marriage books. In one of them, he says that sex is God's covenant cement in marriage. And what he means by that is when you're married, there are all kinds of aspects to your relationship. But almost all of them you share with someone else. So so you might think of your spouse this morning and you think they are my best friend. But you also have other friends. You think "I, I share my greatest victories with them but you also celebrate with other people. 
You think, I, I tell them my, my darkest secrets, but you also reveal those to some of your friends. You think, they're there to support me, but so are your friends and so are your family. You think, they're, they're there to help me with these projects, but so are your coworkers. Right? They, they love me unconditionally, but so do your kids. And so in, in every area where you think you have this unique, powerful, special bond, you actually share it with someone else. And when, according to the scriptures, the most unique aspect of our relationship with our husband or wife is the physical relationship. It's our sexuality and our intimacy. And because it is so powerful, God protects it for marriage. And so again, two applications. If you're married, your sexual activity should be a regular and frequent part of your relationship. And that's not just me saying that. That's the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. When they asked him about marriage relationships, he says the only reason a husband and wife should not have sex is if they have mutually agreed to set aside time for prayer meetings for a very short amount of time, and then they should come back together so they don't burn with passion. So when is it okay to have an absence of physical intimacy in your marriage? For a very short time when you're praying all the time. And, and that, that is the point where most married people should say, amen. That's what we want. That's what we long for. We're afraid to say it. We don't know what she'll think. I mean, we don't know what he'll think. We don't know what the people around us will think. We don't know what our kids down the aisle will think. Uh, it doesn't matter. This is God's plan. For you to be bound together, you have to take full advantage of the resources that God has given you. Which means do it and do it often. And do it with joy and do it with a heart full of gratitude to the Lord. And I know that, I don't know why that always like, oh. Uh. <laughs> My teenagers sitting by their mom. <laughs> Head between their knees, right? But th this is it. And so as followers of Jesus, what are we gonna do? We're gonna say, this is God's plan. I will live in God's plan. I will encourage others to follow God's plan. Right? This is what should make Christian marriage different and life-giving and so much better than the world around us who are trying to be married without following Jesus. Is Hey, he's given us a, a guide and we're just following it. When we follow it, life is good and we're connected and we keep moving forward together. What that means, though, for married people is do it. What it means for single people is don't do it. If sexuality is our covenant cement, then culture turns it into Velcro. And just says, no, 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 you can attach to whoever you want, wherever you want, however often you want, and it's fine. It's just all about you. What God intends for connection and commitment, the enemy comes and tries to twist into just personal pleasure and fulfillment. And what God intends to be a transformational change, a connection unlike what you have with any other person in the world, the enemy says, no, 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 you can do that whenever, wherever, with whoever, and without any consequence. But just like Velcro, if you use it over and over and over again, eventually it starts to lose its stickiness. And God's plan for us, if we're married, is to be connected to our spouse. And if we're not married, it's to protect and preserve sex so that we will one day be connected to our spouse. So he says it's transformational. Jesus always tell, also tells us it's a permanent change. He says what God has joined together, let no one separate. Right now, kind of a, a little caveat, if you are married and you're, you're in an abusive relationship, I want you to know we're here to help you. You can email us, info at christianchapel.com. You can go to the prayer room today. We would love to, to navigate this very difficult season that you're in. 
All right, so, so we're going to talk about the permanency of marriage and how there is no way out. But if you're in an abusive relationship, I just want you to hear, there is help and safety and hope for you, and we would like to help you find that. And Jesus even allows for sometimes there are marriages that are broken beyond repair, and we do need a way out, and he gives us that. Right? But for the rest of us, your marriage isn't abusive. You just maybe aren't as happy as you once were. If that's you, what Jesus tells us is the one you have is the one you get, so you better make it work. What God has joined together, let no one separate. No one means you. No one means your spouse. No one means your kids. No one means your job. No one means an old boyfriend or girlfriend. No one means a fantasy of what might be or could be. No one means a hope that maybe you'll at least outlive them so one day you can try again. Right? No one means all of these things and every other thing, activity, place where you are tempted to think, if I didn't have them, I could do this. In those spaces, Jesus says, you have to go to war against that. What God has joined together. For some of us, the best gift we can give to our marriage is to renew the high and holy view that God has of our marriage. He does not view this as a relationship of convenience, but as a covenant commitment where his spirit is at work binding your heart to your spouse. And because of the power of marriage, the enemy comes to separate and destroy. And so he drives wedges of unforgiveness. He drives wedges of unrealistic expectation. He drives wedges of distraction and hurt. He drives wedges of busyness and tries to do everything he can to get us to begin to drift apart in hopes of one day it will be easier for us to separate. The Pharisees come and they want to know, when can we get out of marriage? And Jesus' response is what God has joined together. Let no one separate. God's plan is for marriage to be a permanent commitment, right? That when we walk in, it's not just, yeah, I'll say I do, and then we'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll make five years, maybe we'll make 10, maybe we'll make 25. If you're married, God's plan is not for you to stay married until your kids leave the house, right? If the kids have left the house, his plan is not for you to just stay married for a little bit longer until the finances are in order. God's plan is when a husband and wife are brought together, they stay together. What God has joined together, let no one separate. And so when we have been brought together as husband and wife in a public commitment, a transformational change, now we're with each other. So we might as well figure out how to make it good. We might as well surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. We might as well follow God's path. We might as well walk in it every day. That the one you have is the one you're going to keep waking up next to. So you might as well figure out how to like them, how to enjoy them, and how to experience the fullness of life Jesus came to offer to you. And in that permanency, there's safety and there's security. It's a space for, for me to know I'm not at my best every day, but Angie's still going to be there the next day. Right? That, that I, I'm going to get it wrong quite a bit, but I'm going to ask and receive forgiveness. It's a space for her to know if she doesn't wake up smiling and singing, I'm still there, and I'm still with her. All right, through the highs and the lows, through the good and the bad, you expressed it in your vows, and now you're living it out together. And the good news is God is with you, not only holding you together, but holding you together in a way that leads to your life and brings life to those around you. 
But the enemy will be unrelenting in his desire to destroy what God has brought. And for those of us who've experienced the pain of divorce in our families, whether you were like me and it was your parents who divorced, or, or maybe you went through it with your, your former spouse, maybe you've watched your kids or siblings or close friends go through it, what we all know about divorce is the ripples always go farther and last longer than we could ever imagine. And that, that, that you believe the lie of, well, the kids are out of the house, it won't affect them. But it does. Well, you know, we're just, we're just incompatible. Our friends will understand. Everyone will be fine. And, and then you find it just keeps going and it keeps going. And there's pain and there's hurt and there's suffering. Why? Because what God has joined together should never be separated. And when it is separated, it causes tearing. It causes pain. It causes death to enter into the world. And so our commitment, if we're married, is to be all in with our spouse. And if we're unmarried, it's to wait for that permanent commitment to go all in physically, emotionally, and relationally. All right, so, so I have to make the commitment to my wife of I am here forever and nothing's getting between us. And she has to make that commitment to me. And you have to make that commitment to your spouse. But then there's another commitment that I make to married couples and that married couples make to me and Angie of, you know, I'm not going to let anything get between us and I'm not going to be the thing that gets between anyone else. So my primary attention, affection, devotion towards the opposite sex is always directed towards my wife and never to anyone else's wife. And the same is for you, the same is for me. And as we all make both of those commitments, we walk a path that's easier to be together forever. And so when we think of all this, what I, what I really want us to think of is to seek Jesus first in our dating and relationships is to live according to God's plan for our current relationship status. Just whatever it is, right? Which biblically, there's two, married and unmarried. And you might be unmarried with no plans to ever get married, or you might be unmarried and desperate, you'd get married tomorrow, somebody would ask, right? Wherever you fit on that spectrum, you're still in an unmarried category, which means you have to live according to God's status. So, so to put it very bluntly, if you're unmarried, don't play house, if you're unmarried, don't live together, don't sleep together, don't overinvest yourself emotionally or relationally, don't give things that can't be taken back, don't make eternal commitments without a public declaration of we are husband and wife. Show some restraint. And no matter what blog you might think you can find on the internet that supports your current choices, living at odds with God's revealed will in the scriptures is never a healthy way to begin a relationship. And now, now on the other side of that, if you're married, stop trying to live like you're single. You have been brought together and you have to stay together, right? You have forfeited the right to tell the other person, don't worry about it. I got this. Stay out of my business. You forfeited the right to go to work and flirt your way through every day. You forfeited the right to have a wandering eye. You forfeited the right to find your affection in someone else. You forfeited the right to live as an individual person concerned primarily for your wants and needs. You two have become one and you've got to live like it. You have to fully embrace God's plan. And when we all live according to our relationship status, not only do our lives approve, but Jesus tells us he will provide all these other things as well. The longing you have to be loved, to be known, to be accepted. He says you'll find it whether you're unmarried or married. The desire you have to know and be known, you'll find it whether you're married or unmarried. Jesus knows your needs. He created you with them and he's going to meet them, but he has a path and a plan to do it. 
And our job is to surrender to that, no matter how difficult it might be, no matter how at odds it might be with the culture around us. We know this is God's plan. It's male and female. It's man and woman. It is public. It's transformational. It's permanent. And this is the lane I've got to run in. So I'm just going to run with everything I have by the power of the Spirit within me. I'm going to be bound together with my spouse, or I'm going to preserve myself so that I will be bound together with my spouse. And then the last thing I would tell you is wherever the ideal is lacking, God's grace is sufficient. And I, the last thing I would want is for you to leave this morning feeling like, well, I've already blown it, so apparently God has no plans for me. I'd already messed up physically. I've already overinvested. We already moved in together. I've already been down all of those roads. I've already been divorced a couple times. I've, I've already, all of that and more. All the reasons you think you've got it wrong and God couldn't possibly forgive. I hope you hear this morning that yes, Jesus has a plan. And when we divert from it, he is quick to forgive. He looks to restore and renew. And he wants to lead us on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So wherever you are, if God reveals sin, the, the answer is not to say, well, I already have, so I might as well go deeper into it. The answer is to stop, to repent, and to turn. And if that means ending a relationship, then end the relationship. If that means just taking a step back and saying, I, I need to mature a little bit before I go down this path, then, then do it. Whatever God speaks, just follow his path. But, but please hear me this morning. Past mistakes don't have to become future mistakes, right? The, the places where you've messed up before, that's not who you're always going to be. Jesus is here to forgive, to restore, and to renew. Or maybe you're married this morning and you think that's a, that's a wonderful ideal, but we've already messed ours up. It's been broken for decades. And I want you to hear God's voice speaking to you this morning, saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in your marriage and all these other things will be given to you as well. The forgiveness you've been longing for, it can be experienced. The connection that's been missing, it can be renewed. The ability not just to love each other, but to actually like each other, to enjoy each other's company, to have deep and meaningful conversations. All of these are still available through the power and presence of Christ in your life. So if you'll stand with me, I wanna pray for us this morning. Then the band's gonna come back and, and lead us in a song, just declaring God's hope over our relationships today. Jesus, we come to you today. You see each one of us. You see our current relationship status. Lord, I pray first of all for those who are married. Will you come today and remind us that this is your plan for our life. The one we have is the one you have for us. So Lord, help us to love our spouse as you loved us and gave yourself up for us. Help us to submit to one another in love, to put the needs of the other before us. Help us to express our love in ways that it is heard, understood, and received by our spouse. Lord, you see every marriage and you see the way the enemy is attacking each one of our relationships this morning, trying to drive wedges of division and separation. Lord, we pray today that you would come and you would reveal the lies of the enemy that we're tempted to believe. You would show us the spaces where, where division is being sown, where the drift is starting. And Lord, today, will you bring husbands and wives back together? Lord, will we renew our commitment to you and to one another? And God, I pray, I pray especially for those marriages today that are broken and are a source of pain and trauma. Will you come today, Lord, and release your gifts of healing and forgiveness? 
Will you turn the hearts of husbands back towards their wives? Will you turn the hearts of wives back towards their husbands? Will you allow us, Lord, to seek and to receive forgiveness? Will you separate our past sins from our current experience and help us to walk together in the fullness of life that you intend? Lord, I pray for those who are unmarried today. Will you help them to live fully by the power of your spirit in this current stage of life? Lord, you see those who long to be married and are waiting for your promises and your fulfillment. I pray today that you would fill them with hope and with faith, that you would affirm to them you have put this desire in their heart and you will meet this desire with the right person at the right time in the right place. Lord, will they trust you on that path? We pray for those, Lord, who feel called to a life of singleness. Will you affirm them in that calling? Fill them with life and hope as they follow the path that you have for them. Lord, we ask that each one of us, in our relationships, we would believe the best is yet to come. Lord, that you would fill our hearts with hope, with faith, that we will know the joy in life you intend in all of our relationships. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like someone to join you in prayer, you can head out the back doors to the prayer room. The rest of us, we're going to sing this final song as a declaration of our hope in Christ and his ability to accomplish his good work in every part of our lives. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.